the team at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, welcome back to the Masterclass Tactical Podcast. I'm your host, Haydar Robani. I hope you're having a wonderful Sunday afternoon, evening, or in the morning, wherever you are across the world, watching the Masterclass. Manchester United have won 3-1. Fantastic second-half performance. Great goal by Cavani, Rob. Uh, great to see Mason back on the score sheet again. His form is fantastic. And May United have secured uh, Champions League football for next season. First time they've done it consecutively, which is fantastic as well. So that's fantastic progress. And all in all, you know, at the end of the day, comfortable result. Comfortable win in the end, but obviously a bit of a hairy first half with uh, the, the considering the goal and where United stood. Really, really positive that Champions League football is in the bag so early on. You know, we've got to get out of this mindset of, you know, getting to the last game of the season and fighting for a top four place because that's really where Man United do not want to be. Uh, they are the second best team in the country. I said this repeatedly on our show and they're proving that. And I think this today was a game where, especially with the Europa League final coming up, and we'll have a little chat about that later on, um, we're seeing that United are still getting the job done. Uh, so good on the road. I don't understand it. Uh, why they're so good away from home and why Old Trafford is a bit of a problem. Um, well, I say a bit of a problem. It's not It's not a huge problem, not being over the top there. But um, we're, we're in a position now where I think the team looks really, really settled and balanced and we can start looking forward now to the summer about what players are going to come in and how are we going to strengthen this squad and then maybe, just maybe, become title contenders. Absolutely. And guys, wherever you listen to this, you know, Please spread the word. Retweets are much appreciated. We'd love to get this show out to more people. Let's start, Rob, with the formation. So Oli went with 4-2-3-1, as he usually does every single week. That's Manchester United's go-to formation. We saw Henderson back in goal. There's no doubt that he's the number one now for Manchester United. We saw Lindelof and Maguire as well, the preferred partnership. McFred in midfield. We saw Marcus play up front a little bit today. And I think, you know, I'm not a fan of him playing there. I prefer him off the left or off the right. I don't think his movement's good enough. I don't think he's, he's instinctive enough as well to get into the box. Um, and, you know, we saw Cavani do that when he came on. We saw Mason on the right. Him and Marcus did rotate a few times. Um, we saw Pogba back on the left. And all in all, that first 15 minutes, Rob, I thought United were fantastic. It's the best we've started in a very, very long time. We were creative. We saw early on Pogba and Shaw looking to overload the left-hand side. We saw really good interchanges. What was missing, I think, in that first 15 minutes, you could say in that first half, though, was just that execution, um, which United lacked in that first half, and we saw that in the second half. But uh, what were your thoughts on the setup today? And obviously, we saw Pogba back on the left. That looks like it's his preferred position now, isn't it, under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? 
It's definitely his preferred position as far as being a footballer. That's quite important. Uh, we know he can do all sorts of things in midfield, play in the pivot, go forward, be a 10, whatever we want to call them. Um, but yes, I think when you're seeing him playing on that left-hand side, it, when you look at the system, we know it's 4-2-3-1. We know what the functionality is. What's the end product there? It's supposed to be about creating chances, isn't it? Being able to get that front four and be fluid. So we saw today that the, the whole of that front four, as you said there, Marcus playing through the middle at times. We saw Mason kind of stick more wide. You know, he kind of went one-on-one on, one on the right-hand side lots of lots of times with a ball at his feet. And then we saw Bruno kind of alternate a lot today, playing sometimes on the left, sometimes playing just off the double pivot quite deep, allowing Pogba to go and do Pogba things further forward up the pitch. And again, as our viewers know, I'm a great advocate of Paul Pogba playing in maybe that four uh, at the top end. Why is that? Well, look at the penalty. You know, when he got that penalty in the box, he's clever enough, he's smart enough to do that with his body, put his body in the way. Does Marcus do that in that moment? I'm not so sure. Does other players in the United attack do that? I'm not so sure, but Pogba does. And the balance is just good. Like it's a it's a it gives you confidence looking at Luke Shaw overlapping on the left with Pogba. Pogba comes narrow, allows allows Luke to go further wider left and overlap. And you're just seeing that it's mirroring, even on the right-hand side, which we will talk about, Manchester United's fabled right-hand side that has all of these issues. The right-hand side's actually ticking over quite well. Wambasaka is getting further forward. Mason Greenwood started on the right today and scored a goal by rolling his man on the right-hand side and then getting on his left foot. So a lot of these things that we say are problems week to week are not always really truly the problems. But I think today, one of the hype, you know, one of the biggest issues that we need to highlight is centre back. And I think we need to look at Victor Lindelof's performance because what we saw today was maybe the bad old Lindelof from last season and maybe the one that we've seen now and then. Now, of course, he's had a good season with Maguire. But when we talk about good, are we talking about centre backs that are going to win you the title? Who do you go with? Do you go with Maguire? Do you go with Lindelof? Do you go with both of them? Or do you go with neither of them? Next few weeks are going to be interesting. Let's see what obviously happens with Harry's injury now. We saw that he had quite a bad one. I don't think he'll feature uh, against Liverpool. I think that's probably going to be way too quick. So can Bailly do something with Lindelof? Lindelof played on the right today, as he always does. I think he gave Wambasaka tons of problems. Didn't allow that um, channel to work properly at all because he was just getting rolled by his man. He got rolled for the goal, which was, of course, an issue from the double pivot where they're messing around with the ball and couldn't actually get rid of it. And it ends up for Lindelof to deal with. But then we also saw it in the second half with him playing on the left with, with Bailly inside him, getting rolled, not quick enough, not sharp enough, not aggressive enough. Way to Victor Lindelof. This is what he does. Can he do this for United next year if United want to be title contenders? Personally, my opinion is no. I mean, look, this comment here saying uh, I'm gagging for Paul Torres to come in. We're going to get a good look at Paul Torres, obviously, in the final. Um, you know, from all accounts from a couple of Arsenal fans I've spoken to, he was fantastic uh, against them. He's... The issue comes, Rob, though, is that uh, Maguire has played on the left pretty much nearly all his career. He's, he's not really played on the right side of defence. So, you know, what does Ole Gunnar Solskjaer do here? Now... You know, we talk about Victor Lindelof and, 
you know, we saw the worst of him today, the physicality element of it. As soon as Maguire went off, you saw Villa go long. They just knew that you go long and you go more direct. Lindelof's not going to deal with it. I mean, you've heard Troy Deeney. He was in the studio today. He said before as well that, you know, teams know that when Victor Lindelof um, is in the heart of United's defence, you just put a little bit of physical pressure on him and they know he'll crumble. Now, I know we disagree on this uh, quite a lot, but I do think that we had a problem today in the in the pivot with McFred. We know their limitations, so I'm not going to expect them to, the world from them. We all know that they're not the long-term solution, but they are the best solution for United at this very moment, You know, obviously not dipping into the market. But for me today, I thought we saw Villa press very aggressively. Their first wave press was fantastic today, especially early on in that, well, sort of, into that late phase of that first half you know they got the goal as well and the goal came from that you saw Fred sort of almost hospital pass it to, to McTominay and then McTominay not deal with it and then Lindelof should have got tighter with Traore it was a fantastic finish but the problem is that when United you know lose that composure or they lose you know perhaps they lose a goal in the game they don't have that quality in midfield to reassert themselves on the ball and then you see United lose the grip of the game and I think that's one of the it's one of the positives and the negatives of this United side because in the second half we saw this side you know we can see what they can do and they're fantastic and they can turn the game on its head but I do think that while the defense is a problem and I think a centre-back is a, is a real problem for United Maguire needs a better partner those two in front did not help the defense day or United today and I think it is a recurring theme I don't want to, I know we spend weeks weeks and weeks talking about this but it is a recurring theme that if there is an area where United really do need more quality, if they want to play out the back, if they want to be able to retain possession when they're pressed, you know, heavily, it is those two in in the the pivot, and it and it is the defence. Yes and no. Like, let's look at it pragmatically. You know, is United's defence a problem? Well, it's not a problem. It's the third best defence in the in the league this year. Is it the defence that's going to stop you from winning the league next year? Potentially, that question is yes. Let's apply that to the double pivot. Does the pivot, double pivot stop Man United winning matches because they cannot pass through the pivot? Well, if they were passing through the pivot, then you would be right. You know, they there's an issue there because McTominay and Fred don't seem to be able to pass the ball five yards to each other at times. And that's their bad. Do you know what I mean? They need to be better at that. I don't believe for two seconds that two international footballers shouldn't be able to pass five yards to each other. There's an issue there between them. Um, but they are, for me, still the best double pivot. The reason why you don't play Paul Pogba there is that you lose Pogba's influence higher up the pitch, but Pogba's also likely to give the ball away in those areas. So what are you really gaining by having a ball player in the pivot? That's kind of where I stand on that. And as I said, we keep saying it week after week after week. But I think when you look at Victor Lindelof, he has to anticipate what's in front of him. If he's got a double pivot in front of him, doing all the screening, all the mopping up, all of that, all he's got to really do, Haydar, is read the play, read what's going on. So if he loses the ball, he has to just check if he's goal side. He has to think where his player is. Is he marking touch tight? Is he going to mark more zonally? What's he doing? And what we saw with the goal, with the Villa goal, it was really Villa's probably their, they did have opportunities, but that was kind of their best chance, certainly that part of the match it flipped the game around, was that he didn't read the play. He wasn't tight enough. He wasn't anywhere near the ball. He actually kind of told his opponent what to do, and that was, I'll let you go off that side and you can have a shot. Now, he put it in the top corner, so what can you do about that? So it, was, it was a great finish, Rob. We, we can't take great, away from it's that. It's a great finish, but the point is, the first error comes in the double pivot, and the second error comes from Lindelof. 
But the, the error that really counts, Haydar, is the one with the centre-back. So your centre-back has to do his job in that moment because all he's got to do is get tight, close that lane down, get right in that person's face and say, that's it, you cannot run that lane. I'm just going to stay there and you're going to bang into me or I'm going to get the ball off you. You're going to get times when your double pivot could be Paul Pogba and and Pirlo out of getting him out of retirement and they're going to lose the ball because it does happen the double pivot does lose the ball every now and then because of the functionality because of where they are and yes McTominay and Fred need to be better and yes you could go and buy someone in the summer and yes there's a hundred different things you could do but again in this game I don't look at this game and think the double pivot was the issue the issue was is that defensively United were on the back line were a problem. I thought Maguire was fine until he went off. And it did seem to be Lindelof heavy today. And you've got to think about it. Maguire himself has deficiencies. He's not quick enough. But I think he's probably playing the best football that he's played for Man United in a kind of over spell, maybe of yeah, like four or five months. You know, he looks like he's he's got leadership in there. He's controlling things. He's being progressive. He's stepping into the pocket with the ball. He's doing all the things that you want Harry Maguire to do. But you know what? It must be difficult for him to look on the inside and know that Victor Lindelof is doing what Victor Lindelof does. And that must be really, really tough. Now, we said earlier on in the season, we talked a lot about Aaron Wambasaka's positioning. Now, I think Aaron Wambasaka has mentally got over that. I think he understands, a bit like Luke Shaw, that I have to go forward. I might have to sacrifice something behind me. But that means that that person there, who is Victor Lindelof, has got to go and do his job. And I think you have to have balance like that. You have to have trust and you have to have kind of tactics. This is what this show is about. But Victor Lindelof is the weakest link in that back four that compromises almost the other three positions. And you just mentioned Pau Torres there. Pau Torres would come in, would play on the left-hand side. I've got no issue with Harry Maguire switching to the right. Harry Maguire can do that job. He's got two feet. He could be in that area. He won't be compromised. It won't. He won't be any quicker or, or faster or slower or anything in that position. So he can still read the game because that's what he does. Lindelof is a reader of the game, but I don't think he should be a reader of the game for Manchester United if Manchester United want to win a title next season. I, I agree with that in parts, you know, Rob, before before we sort of go on to the next topics, we could talk about this all day and we talk about this every single, nearly every single show. But what I will add to that, though, is that while, yeah, the, the defence is a problem, you know, those two in front that both were put in there to screen, both are put in there to, to essentially protect the two behind. And I just think that they're both, I just think they're both deficient. I thought Fred had a good game. McTominay had one to forget. My issue with those two is that they do give the ball away. And when they give the ball away, it doesn't matter who you've got behind you, Rob. Obviously, Lindelof should have done better. But no matter who you have in central defence, if they're giving the ball away in dangerous areas, it's always difficult. It's always difficult to defend. And, I, f I felt like today, one of my biggest problems today is that, I, you know, it was the, the retention of the ball from both of them. And, you know, it takes it takes out of United's attack going forward when you've got two people, two players just sitting there who aren't giving enough going forward. And United's issue is that when teams are going to sit back a little bit more, these two have to be more involved in the build-up. And I don't think they are more involved in the build-up. You said they can't, you know, at times they can't pass five yards. That's a problem, Rob. That's a huge problem for a club like Man United who want to go and win titles. Lindelof is deficient for me, yes. And if United want to win a title, he's not the centre-back. I also think those two in front are deficient. If United want to win a title, it's the same It's the same sort of um, you know, story with them that they need to be upgraded on. But I also know their deficiencies, they're just not, not a long-term solution for me. 
they're not a long-term solution and yes you could upgrade them there's no doubt about that you can go my player tomorrow who would upgrade that that issue that that part of the park but my my point is that are, is that why united drop points every week do i look at that and look at it statistically and kind of with an outward looking uh, way of expressing it and saying, is it the double pivot today that caused United loads of problems? Now you just said there about teams that sit back and they can't really join in the play. Well, what we saw today was Villa play a high press. So Villa played a high press. So today the, the pivot was forced to sit deeper. And we've said this before with the double pivot is that one stays and one goes. So it's not a true defensive system. It's not a four and a two. That's not how it is. But today, those two had to kind of plug the gaps. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the PSG game when we beat them earlier on in the season, where the pivot was kind of forced to just pl just really stop the channel, stop that ball going through and allow the kind of allow United to then get on the front foot from really deep. It wasn't quite a low block. But it's how you have to address it when you're playing uh, a higher press. It's just what you have to do. But we've seen in recent weeks that Scott McTominay, Scott McTominay scored eight goals from the double pivot this year. What? Eight goals. So he is kind of doing his job. He's getting forward in those situations where you're saying he's not. Fred, I think, has actually been quite progressive at times. So when he's been allowed to go, whenever he's played, like we saw in Matic at the end of the last match, there is times when he gets forward. Now, I think that their deficiency comes up here, Haydar how they play the game in their brains. It's not actually their passing. United today, 86% pass success rate doesn't really tell you that there was a huge issue with the passing today. It really wasn't. It might sting, like when we see them give the ball away five yards and then Villa score and we go, ah, that hurts. But it's not actually why you don't go to the next level. Now, the next level will involve buying new players. Who do you put in there? Do you buy someone like a Basuma? Like we saw today, a really good um, close-up of uh, the, the Villa lads. McGinn and Douglas Louise. But, yeah, we, we, looked at Douglas Louise. we looked at Douglas Louise, but what did Douglas Louise do? He gave away a penalty, a stupid penalty. So he played well today, but he contributed to his team losing a lot more than our double pivot did. So you've got to be pragmatic about why these things are as they are. You've got to wait till transfer windows because you can upgrade. That's the smart thing to do, to find a better player to play in there. I always say it every week, don't I? If you had a Kante in there, Happy days, you're fine. You'll get away with it. You'll just you'll play more fluidly. You'll get out from the back a lot quicker. But United don't really play like that, even though they want to play like that. So this is a kind of forward-thinking way of what will Manchester United be next season. I think people still think we only need one player back there rather than two, which, again, I don't subscribe to. It's not a systematic thing. It's not – you haven't got Michael Carrick there. So unless you go and find your Michael Carrick, you can't have a screener in there, as we said before. Nemanja Matic is not going to probably be at the football club next year. And if he is, he's going to be on the bench. So you've got to find a way around your own system that you've been teaching these players for literally two years now. You've been teaching them to play 4-2-3-1 and they've got to a point where they're second in the league and in the final of a European competition. So not all bad. You know, this is the whole thing about saying, is the defence a problem? Not a problem, but you can improve it. Is the double pivot a problem? Not a problem but you can improve it. But I think you could take this whole Man United team and strip it back. And there's loads of positions you could say that about. And there's maybe only like Luke Shaw at the moment, who you could yeah. still probably say, Luke Shaw looks like the best left back in on Europe. earth at the moment. Yeah, so, you know, he, so he, he looks like he's gone to a completely different level in his head. And it's about how you play the game up there as much as how you play the game with your feet. It's about kind of your outward looking 
approach to the game. So, yeah, let's go and buy a defensive midfielder that fits that. But I don't really see them at the moment. I think still that United's issues remain in the attack. I still think you kind of have to think about whether you go for a striker, whether you decide to go and get a wider player. When I say wide player, I'm not talking a winger. I'm talking someone who can play in the channels. And then you can maybe talk maybe about someone like a Basuma from Brighton, which fans, football fans, you think that and I think that, but I think a lot yeah. of Man United fans would look at that side and then go, who? So that's a that's another part of the game here about who do you bring in? Does it have to be a name or does it have to be someone who's effective? I I personally believe it should be someone who's effective. It's, you've got to go down the Liverpool route. Uh, I know that's a bit of blasphemy on here, but you have to. What they did over the last five years with Klopp and they built the team slowly and they went and got the Gini Wijnaldums from Newcastle. They went and got um, Van Dijk from uh, Southampton, Mane from Southampton, you know, Salah from Roma. These weren't Just find the right player. players. Find the you right player. Sign, yeah, you've got to sign the right players that will do the job. It's uh, it's an interesting run. Rob, we'll quickly touch on that because there's been a there's been a question about Jimmy Garner and he's been in fantastic form. And big credit to the club for after his loan at Watford, obviously it wasn't working out. He was playing a lot at the beginning, stopped playing. Instead of bringing him back and putting him in the 23s, which he was just tearing it up the year before, they sent him to Forest and he's he's just scoring some amazing goals. You talk to a lot of Forest fans um, and they're just absolutely wax lyrical about him. He's He's doing very, very well. My opinion on Jimmy Garner, I think he's going to be, he can be a very good player for Manchester United. It's just a little bit too soon. He needs to go out on loan, I think, for another season, preferably to the Premier League, uh, get a bit of Premier League experience. But uh, what are your thoughts on him as a player? And uh, could you see him coming back possibly next season and fulfilling one of those positions? Because I don't think United are going to go and sign Rob four players of high caliber. They're just not, the money isn't going to be released to do that. We've got to be realistic. Especially if United are going for, let's say, a Sancho, you know, a, a player like that, you know, more of a marquee signing. But uh, would you be bringing Jimmy Garner back next season, you know, as a possible option in that midfield, or would you be looking to send him out again? I think Lone is probably the best choice for him. I don't think he should be dropped into the, you know, into the sort of pressure part too early in his career. I'm not too worried about it being dropped in the pressure part. What I'm worried about is what we've kind of the things we've just been talking about. So when I've said the double pivot isn't the problem, you're not losing games because of the double pivot, but will you win the title next season? I don't think James Garner is going to help United win the title next season. I think he's a really good young player. He's been, he's been in our system for years. We've known about Garner for a long time. Um, you know, now he's doing it obviously out away from United. There's no kind of thing of doing it at Nottingham Forest or in the Championship. That's a good thing. It's part of your development. But look what Tu and Zabi did. Tu and Zabi went to Aston Villa, got Aston Villa promoted, came back to Manchester United. What's going on with Tu and Zabi at the moment? So I don't know. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, I'm all for homegrown talent. I'm, I'm always, always down with that. I love all of that. That's part of what we do. It's part of the system at Man United. But I don't think that in the way we're talking at the moment that Ghana comes back and sets the world on fire. It's just not going to happen. Uh, I do think we should hold on to him. But then you might look at it and say, well, hang on. If you want Basuma, does Ghana become a make weight in that? Do you say to Brighton, either as a loan or as a permanent, Ghana's really, really good. Would you like him? And we want Basuma. And because we haven't got loads of cash this year, there's 15 million quid off the fee or something like that. That's when these players become a little bit more important. Jesse Lingard is going to be one of those players. That if Manchester United decide to cash in, it will be used in the wider concept of transfers and bringing in the right players. So James Garner, I really do like him. Um, I like Medjbri as well. I think Medjbri's probably got a bigger ceiling. Um, different players, of course. 
But I think when you look at United's midfield, they've got lots of function and not a ton of flair, not a ton of of real kind of, you know, that classy, high-caliber European-style midfielders. Uh, and we will talk about one later on. I want, as I said before the show, I would like to talk about Jack Grealish. I think it's quite pertinent considering we've just played Aston Villa. But how do you actually find that missing link in your attack to make you go to the next level, to become the Manchester City next year, to be that team that goes on a run of 20 wins? How do you become that side? Because I think United have got it in them, but I don't know if James Garner is the player that will take them there. Absolutely, Rob. Let's uh, let's touch on a few other good performances today. Uh, I think we saw, obviously, Cavani come on. One thing I felt today was we lacked a little bit of movement in the front line. I felt like there were several times Luke Shaw put some fantastic balls in and uh, a few others. And, you know, you'd expect Cavani to be there on the six-yard box, you know, really causing a lot of mayhem. I didn't feel like, um, obviously, Mason was playing a bit wider. I didn't feel like Marcus did that enough today. But look, if you manage Cavani properly... And I think Oli's doing that fantastically well. You've got to give him a lot of credit for the way that he's not overplaying him. We know that he's obviously hitting sort of mid-30s in footballing terms. That's pretty pretty geriatric. But uh, I believe that's eight goals now in seven, his last seven games. And look, that movement for that goal, it's, a, it's what Cavani does, isn't it? And United have lacked that for a long time. I do feel like United have lacked that sort of striker, possibly since Robin Van Persie, who's, uh, who's got fantastic movement in the box. And... Uh, Looks like he'll sign on for another year, which means that United probably won't go for a striker and that obviously changes United's plans. But uh, how impressed have you been with Cavani? Obviously, you've got a couple in midweek. He looks he looks a real top-quality player when he's had the right rest and when he's managed properly. Uh, obviously impressed with him, you know, but this is exactly what I thought when we signed him. This is why we signed him. This is why we wanted him. And uh, I was always surprised where why half the United fan base would just thought he was a kind of money-grabbing old player coming in just for his last big contract or whatnot. That's not who Edison Cavani is. That's not what he does. Um, yes, that run when he scored that goal, it's a typical striker's goal, isn't it? Running on. What I will say is this, Marcus Rashford's ball into the box was excellent, but United still probably don't do that enough. So it's really, really difficult to kind of tell Martial to make those runs because United weren't putting those balls in the box at the start of the season and at, and last season. Now, of course, we're training and working alongside Cavani. They'll start to do that more naturally. And that's why I've got no issue with Marcus Rashford playing on the right. Why? Because he can whip that ball into the box. It doesn't always have to be about Marcus doing his role on the left-hand side, which is his preference. So I'm impressed with Cavani. However, I'm not getting too high and hot on him. Why? Because he's not the solution to winning the title. Winning the title is going to be about all the other moving bits that are floating around this football club. How do you make them all kind of stick together? Cavani is a great option from the bench, 20, 25 minutes, where the opposition is tired and he's going to run the last man. And that's what he did today. He ran the last man. We put the ball on his head and he put it in the corner. That's what I want Cavani for. I don't want Cavani for anything else, Haydar. I literally don't want it. I don't want him starting games, 20 games in a row. I don't want him being the focal point of the attack. I don't want any of those things. I don't want him dropping deep. I don't want him clearing the ball off the line on the goal line, which he did today when he first came yeah, on. Yeah, a couple of times That's today. That's not yeah. why I want a player like Cavani. I want someone of 25 minutes of pure class off our bench because you win football matches from your bench as much as you're starting 11. You're starting 11 
it, it's there. It kind of gets set in stone, doesn't it? You get to know who's your best players. And today I saw people tweeting earlier on uh, that, you know, Cavani's not starting. It's a problem. It's not a problem. He can't play every game. He is older and he is a danger in those last 20 minutes. That's when you want a striker of his calibre coming on rather than, say, an Agalo who can come on and do things maybe narrow in the channel. But Agalo's not going to score you the goals that Cavani scores you. I, I think one of the the most telling moments, and you can compare the bench now to what it was at the end of last season, Rob, against Sevilla, where Oli turned around, looked at his bench, and he had Igalo, Mata, James, you know, these sort of players. And you thought, and you didn't make a change, did he, till very, very late on. You know, I should have won that game. And uh, you look at it now, you know, there, there's quality. You had Cavani to come on, you had Van der Beek, who could have come on as well. Um, obviously, Mata was on the bench as well, but there's much more quality. And United have Look, they're changing games. That's 10 wins now from losing positions. No team has has done more this year in the league. Um, you know, so that's fantastic. But look, guys, get your questions in as well. We'll try and answer as many as possible. We're going to touch, Rob, now on... <clears throat> we'll touch on possibility of Jack Grealish as a signing. And the question really is, is Jack Grealish emerging as a player that United need more than Jaden Sancho? Now, we obviously discussed this briefly off-air. What we've seen in the past couple of months now is Paul Pogba playing off that left. And he's not playing like a conventional left player, left-sided player like Marcus Rashford. You know, he's operating in the channel. He's he's picking up spaces inside. He's, you know, collecting the ball in dangerous positions. And what United are seeing when Pogba plays in that position is they're much more effective in that final third. Their their execution's better. Now Jen Sancho is a player that I've wanted and I you know I continue to want. I still think that right hand side um you know he'd be fantastic on there. It'd offer more balance. But is there a case now that if Paul Pogba does leave and the way that Oli's playing with uh, him on this left-hand side, that it's time that Grealish could emerge as a player to replace Paul Pogba because they're playing in a similar fashion. And, you know, is that better? Is that a better fit for Man United going forward? Yes, is the kind of short answer to all of that. And I'll try and kind of give some background to it. Um, Jack Grealish was on Manchester United's radar just over a year ago. We knew, we kind of knew that. It was quite obvious. Um, he said some very... Um, flattering things about Manchester United over the years. You know, he's talked about Old Trafford being his favourite stadium, etc., etc., etc. Obviously, he's also a second-generation footballer, so he's been in and around the game since he was a kid. Um, what does he do for Manchester United in terms of forward thinking? As I said earlier on about winning the title, how does that work? Where does the Pogba thing sit into that? Well, I think Paul Pogba is now playing in the position that he wants to play in. He wants to play on the left-hand side, not necessarily of an attack. He doesn't want to be a winger. He doesn't want to do those things. But he would like to play exactly where he's playing now. So I think that's really important because what Ole's doing is he's listening to the player and he's trying to mould things around Pogba being in those positions. Now, I thought Pogba was outstanding again today. He just makes things tick. He just plays one-touch football. He's strong. He's athletic. He's a danger. He's a danger outside the box. He's a danger in the box. He won us a penalty today. So he's great. But would you keep Paul Pogba? That's a huge question at the moment. So the kind of lateral question with that is really, is that if you lose Paul Pogba, is then Grealish a more pertinent sign-in than Sancho? So we know that Manchester United's right-hand side would kill for a Jaden Sancho. Yeah, we know that Sancho's kind of made for that position. 
But he's made for that position if United play 4-2-3-1 transition and we do nothing else. If that's how we're going to play and Jaden Sancho can play right up the pitch and United are not going to do a lot of smart stuff in midfield, it's all going to be quick, it's going to break from the back, maybe a lower block, kind of doesn't utilise Bruno more, but actually utilises the pace in the team. Okay, fine, Sancho's great. But we've seen it this year. Ole's showing us it. United want to play more football. They want to get it on the deck and they want to play more one-touch football and they don't want to be the team that every time they get the ball go, what do we do with it? Because this is where we were a year ago, isn't it? A year or two ago, United would get the ball, teams would sit off them and United would be like, how do we pass this ball? What do we do? So you've got to buy ball players. Now, Sancho's not really a ball player. He's front-footed. He will do all of that great stuff. He'll find... His retention is fantastic, Rob. He's very press resistant. I think that's probably where I disagree with you. I think out of any of our current players who play across that front three, look, minus Pogba, I wouldn't say Pogba is you know, a traditional player that will play on the left, but I think Sancho is fantastic in that respect. And I think when you're looking at retaining the ball, he'd be a fantastic option. Potentially. I, I don't think in isolation, if United are playing transition football, that that he's the guy who's going to put his foot on the ball and start playing cultured game. I don't believe that. I don't think that's his game either. I think he would love to play in transition and he would love players moving inside him and to have maybe those three or four going together as a unit, which is kind of what United do. That's that's the favoured system, isn't it, when we break? And you even saw it today. When we get the ball, they want to get out quick. They want to play in transition. It's like basketball, like I've said before. Um, but if you lose Paul Pogba and you have £80 million to spend, do you go and spend it on the right channel or the left channel? And I'm sure you'll say this, and I'm sure lots of fans will say this, but they'll say, I'd rather have Marcus Rashford on the left channel, which means I want Sancho in the right channel. And I think all of you guys have probably banged that into your head so much for two years that that's kind of what everyone wants. And I get it. If Sancho came tomorrow, I'd be happy with that. I'd be happy with seeing Jadon Sancho in a Man United shirt. But the question is lateral. Is it better to now bring in Jack Grealish on the left because you lose Pogba? Because Pogba is the guy making it tick from the left. Mason Greenwood played on the right today, scored a lovely goal. And then like we said at the top of the show, the right-hand side with Greenwood and, and Wamasaka, we're not doing shows on the right-hand side being a problem for Man United, are we? We're not doing that. You know, we've just got into a European final. We're second in the league. What we're asking is, how do you get to the next level? Now, yeah, go and buy Sancho and Grealish. But this is not a dream world. It's not happening. You're yeah. probably going to have to choose one or the other. I think Sancho is more likely simply because of where United are in that deal, that they've had all of those talks with the player. The player wants to come to the Premier League. The player's stipulation was he wanted to be in the Champions League. That's going to obviously happen with Man United now. And United now look like a much more attractive proposition than they did 12 months ago, than they did 24 months ago, and even going further back into the Mourinho years. So it looks good for United in terms of attracting players. But that question remains is what's best if you lose Pogba? Because I tell you what, you're not getting another Paul Pogba. I say it every week. So if you're not getting another Paul Pogba, you've got to say, well, Marcus Rashford's going to play on my left-hand side and that's all I've got on the left. So if Marcus gets injured, which he does, and Marcus or Marcus has to play through the centre like he did today, you're starting to hamstring yourself about what your options are with, with your midfielders. And if you're bringing Grealish, you can play him on the left, you can play him on the right, you can play him as a 10, and you can play him as an 8. 
you can play him in different roles. You can't do that with Sancho. Is Sancho going to help Wambasaka on the back foot on the right? Never, never, ever, ever. So you have to think about things like that. I think Sancho can do lots of things. And I think that he kind of, he's recovered this year in the Bundesliga. You know, the bad start, bit of an injury, bit of an arc. Obviously, he's got like, assists for second or second or third season in a row. Look, he's, yeah, he, look, he's got numbers. Look, he's got numbers. And there's no issue with numbers. What we're talking about is stylistic properties about whether to get you to the next level. So like I've said this this season, if we'd had Sancho this year, do I believe Man United would have won the league? No. Do I think having Sancho next season of, say, if United were lost Paul Pogba, do I think Sancho wins you the league? Not on his own. There would have to be other things happening. But I think Grealish on the left, who could play in the channel and allow Luke Shaw now to be this version of Luke Shaw. We're not worried about Luke Shaw anymore, are we? All of those fans that went at Luke Shaw for like a year and called him all sorts of names and said he was this, that, or the other. I don't know what they're saying now. But Luke Shaw is running that left side like a Don. So you have to think about what's inside him. And it kind of feels that if you lose Pogba, that you might have to plump for a Grealish-like forward who can do the left-hand side, but do it with the kind of one-touch football that, that Paul Pogba does it. Because I tell you what, Marcus doesn't do that. I, I, I'm looking at it now, and I think if you brought Sancho and Grealish, I might even drop Marcus Rashford. I might look at it and kind of say, I want to see more football. I don't want to see as much transition because transition and running is great, but transition football is really easy to pick off. It's easy. You just sit back and let it come to you. So I want to see United be more like City. I want to see us play more, more football on the deck. I want to see us pick the lock. I want to see us play proper football. And yeah, still do the kind of counter-attacking like City do that as well. Every top team does. But don't let it be the only thing you do because Man United have suffered because of that in other matches. Certainly start the season at Old Trafford. Why did we lose those games at home? Because all we've got is transition. We didn't have any proper football on the deck. And yet we're having conversations about McTominay and Fred. For me, that's not really where you're winning and losing games. It's, it's higher up the pitch. That's where the bigger kind of all-encompassing question will come from. You know, some fantastic points. I think this comment here really does sum, sum it up, Rob. If Pogba does go, look, I think it all hinges on Pogba going. The way I see it, Rob, and, I, um, you know, you've got, you you know, sources at the club, but I don't see Paul, Paul, Paul Pogba leaving this summer. I think we could see him sign a new contract. Um, but, you know, this comment here is saying if Pogba goes, we should be able to get both. No excuses. Real Madrid did that with Ronaldo and Kaka. Obviously, we know the situation with our ownership and we'll talk about them towards the end. But that's the way United should operate, shouldn't they? If Paul Pogba did leave in the summer, you should be getting Grealish and Sancho because you've chased Sancho for two years. And that sorts out both of the problems that you have. But then, but then, but then you're saying right. then you're saying you haven't got any problems anywhere else. That's the problem. So you could you could afford it. I don't think money would be the issue. The issue is your kind of wider recruitment. So do you then like we've just spent 20 minutes talking about our centre back? Yeah, so I would that, probably yeah. like to spend some money on a centre back. So then do you just buy players two wide channel players a left and a a left and a right. Does that make you title contenders? Not quite sure. It gets you closer. But yeah, of course, we would love United to go out and, and spend incredible amounts of money uh, on, on every top talent that we all liked as fans. But it's not happening. So that's why we don't talk about it like that on this show. That's why we don't we don't pay lip service to that because other shows do. And they'll talk about two, three, four hundred million pounds worth of talent coming in on one window. It's just not it's happening. Not gonna, it's not going to happen with this club. No, Dream I think on. I agree Dream with that. It's, it's, an, it's an interesting conversation. I think, personally, 
the Grealish ship has sailed, which is a shame because I think he's a fantastic player. And I agree with not you, sailed. allows you to play all on the dock. Definitely Learning not so? sailed. I'll tell you, it hasn't sailed. No, it's not it hasn't sailed. sailed. What have you heard? No. It's not sailed. That's what I'm saying. City not involved. City are looking at him quite extensively. Uh, Jack Grealish, if Jack Grealish wants to leave Aston Villa next year, Manchester United will be interested. Simple as that. Okay, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. But I think for me, Sancho is probably more likely to happen. Like you more said, more likely. I think Sancho yeah. is Sancho is it's going to be the primary signing. Yeah. Sancho and and it will be Manchester United doing what Manchester United do. They'll sign Grealish. They'll sign Sancho and they'll stick their fingers up to the world and they'll say, look. We got a top player because we're Man United because we can do what we want. We muscled it and we didn't pay 108 million because we didn't want to pay 108 million. And hey, we paid 82 million and said, aren't we brilliant? So that's kind of what they'll want to do. But Jack Grealish was very, Jack Grealish was very much on Ole's radar going back, I would say, kind of 18 months ago. Um, United had to decide about whether like he was the right player to come in at that point with the team. With United playing everything on transition, he wasn't. If you'd brought him in at that point and United playing counter-attack every week and then Grealish holding the ball up, I think everyone would have just gone, what's going on here? Yeah. This is ridiculous. But we have changed. We're in a different part of our evolution as a squad. And now you can't say to yourself, you know, Paul Pogba playing on the left. Haydar, you're still telling me you'd prefer him in the pivot. There's a reason why he's on the left. There's a reason for that. It's because he wants to be there and that's his best position, it's I'm sorry to say. Also, it's also about the deficiencies behind like he was playing yeah. in the pivot because he had Nemanja Matic next to him so then that lends to the question should United go and buy a Declan Rice and that's that's where I think United need to focus on I think right wing is very important I think a defensive midfielder is more important than the centre-back personally because I don't think you can go into into if you want to go and win the Champions League the Premier League Rob you can't play McFred every week in week out you just can't you're not going to be able to dominate games and I think that's where we're at, at the moment I think the concern for me is that we're seeing Declan Rice linked we're not linked to any other defensive midfielders. We can talk about getting the firepower up front, but you still got to have the middle centre park. We're not going to dominate Chelsea. We're not going to yeah. dominate City. We're not going to dominate, you know, Liverpool. We're not, in, you know, when we play these teams with McFred in midfield. De Declan Rice is really, really good. Declan Rice, if you sign him, does not win you the league. So this is the problem. I, I, I keep, I keep looking at it from that singular point of view when I look at either transfer targets or players that maybe fans like. I tell you what, Pau Torres might help you win the league. Yeah, Pau Torres might actually be that bit in the yeah. defense that that is your Ruben, that is your Ruben Diaz. Yeah, so if you said at the start of the season Ruben Diaz was going to take Man City to where they are this season with John Stones, like look at this. You see, this is the whole thing about, isn't it? Look at what John Stones has done this year. Every one, every Man United fan, every Man City fan would have put him in the dumpster fire and got rid of him because of, of what he. He was linked to Arsenal, Rob. That's how he would have that... gone. He would have oh, gone, man. right? And he would have gone. They would have dumped him and got rid of him. But the whole point is that if there's a player in there, you find that player or you make the system work with that player. Luke Shaw is a really good example of that. Again, look how bad that left back was. <laughs> I, can't, I don't even want to say his name because I think we should just sell him now. But when he, he was playing on that side in that European game the other night at Roma, how bad he was getting caught under the ball and on that left-hand side. And yet he was the player that everyone wanted at the start of the season. Wasn't he? He was the player. Everyone wanted him. They said, tell us, tell us, tell us. He's the solution to the left-hand side. There's a reason why Tellers hasn't played football this year. And it's because he's not good enough. He's not really good enough for that role. Good as a kind of auxiliary player, if you want to go on the front foot. But Luke Shaw is the answer there. So I, that's the way I look at it with Paul Pogba. Yes, play him as a six. 
play him in a double pivot. But I think he's such a waste there. And I do think that he thinks that as well. I think he would do that role every week, but he'd get bored. He'd give the ball away. He would slow the play down. He's not a kind of progressive from there. You don't see him playing, you know, Steven Gerrard like balls into the channel from 50, 60, 70 yard Hollywood passes. That's not what he does. He kind of sweeps up when he's in that position. Go and play him at the high end of the pitch. And then, Haydar, he might sign a contract because he might think, do you know what? I'm playing my favourite role. I'm playing on the left-hand side and I'm scoring goals. I'm assisting goals and I'm loving my game and I'm loving playing for this team. Yeah, where's that contract? I'll sign it. Play him in a double pivot every week. Might be off to Real Madrid. I mean, if I was him, I wouldn't be touching Real Madrid or Juventus you know, with a 20-foot stick. I'm not going to swear on this show uh, because I think both clubs are in absolute disarray with money problems as well. And I think his best... Honestly, I'm not just saying this because I'm a United fan. You know, I've said many times, Rob, at the beginning of the season, I said, you know, if United isn't the best choice for guaranteed trophies. You know, you see City ahead of us and other clubs. But I think right now, staying in Manchester United is his best option. I wouldn't go to PSG. I wouldn't go to Juventus if I was him. And this is from, you know, from an objective point of view. I wouldn't go to Real Madrid. They've got a massive, massive rebuild and they haven't got much much money to do it. So, you know, I, I think I it's def- about the challenge. I think it's about the challenge. Like, it's all very well us saying that. But if we were in his boots, the allure of putting on Real Madrid's shirt and playing at the Bernabeu every week, the new Bernabeu, and being told that you're going to be one of the stars and you're going to re- we're going to reshape the team around you... That is very seductive. So it, you're right. You're totally right in the in the context of where we are now. That I think United are a, are a good place to be if you want to win trophies next season. I think that he has an incredible relationship with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I think Ole's kind of nurtured that and kept him going and kept him motivated, and we can see that in the performances. So I'm with you on that. But you've got to think football's a much bigger thing. You know, I don't think Juventus is a huge pull. I don't think PSG is a huge pull, even though he is a Parisian. He might want to go back to Paris. He's never ever played in France. He's never been out. You know, he's never really kind of, you know, he, he's not been on that stage. That might appeal to him. But the money is still in the Premier League. Man United are on an uptick. They look like they're, they're a better team. But I still think it's kind of 50-50 whether he stays or goes. And I think a lot of that will come down to the trust that the manager puts in him in the attacking part of the pitch rather than defensive. Rob, I've had a question here um, from someone who can't make it, but they just asked me to talk about Oli and how he's slowly building and get us back to the United of Vold. And I think it's a nice way to segue from talking about transfers because, you know, people can get wrapped up in transfers. Oh, we should have this player, this player. But it's what we said earlier on, you know, bringing someone in that will do the role. You know, it doesn't have to be the biggest name, but... I think for the first time, and, and I've criticised Oli and, you know, I've criticised the team, but I think for the first time in a very, very long time, United are genuinely looking, they're looking up, aren't they? They're looking at, right, okay, challenging for the title is the next step. You know, two years now in the Champions League, we've got to get out of the group. And obviously what happened this year was 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 shocking. But, you know, slowly, bit by bit, with the right transfers, obviously the whole squad is behind Oli. You can see that. It's a happy camp where, you know, in parts of playing fantastic football. And like you said earlier, it's not like these certain areas are a problem. It's about, right, let's improve on them. Let's tweak. Let's get better. United are in a very, very good position. Probably the best position they've been since Sir Alex left. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I do think that, again, when you look at maybe how the fan base think and talk, certainly on social media, um, that the only element around the football team in terms of performances 
it's been a fan-driven thing, hasn't it, about Ole? You know, Ole in, Ole out. You know, and I don't want to go too much into because we have done it on the show before, and I think it is kind of dull. I said to you before the show started, I don't have Twitter on my phone anymore. I put it on for when we do the show and maybe when I have to do tweets around games or around work, and then I take it off because Twitter is so toxic and kind of that's where the platform is today. But the reality of it is, is that Ole in two years or a little bit longer than two years has built relationships with the players and that's why he's getting the most out of them. So we look at players that are not as good. McFred, let's take them as a really good example here. And when you look at, you know, Scott McTominay scoring eight goals from what was originally a defensive midfield role, but maybe playing more progressively, that's a result. So that's a that's one tick. Fred would actually fit in a lot of the kind of top 10 teams. They would like a Fred who kind of does the harrying and all of that work. Not for me. I'd like a, maybe an upgrade on him. But you can see Fred's performances this year. Another tick. Luke Shaw, a tick. You can look now, obviously, at the goalkeeper situation. He's playing that correctly. David De Gea in, uh, in the Roma match was world class. So we just sat here and just said, our oh, number one is the guy who played today, the kid. But is he? You know, David De Gea had probably his best performance for five years. Unbelievable. Prime De Gea, wasn't he? But so, that, so the goalkeepers are a tick. You know, Aaron Wambasaka is getting on the front foot more. A tick. Harry Maguire is playing better football. A tick. All of these things are really, really important. You know, Bruno's still scoring goals, but now we have, we're becoming less reliant on Bruno things. And I like that because it's more about kind of having a spread across the attack. And that's why we're talking about Sancho. That's why we're talking about Grealish. That's why we're talking about options in that area. We didn't even really talk about centre forward because we've done that before as well. So this is where the balancing point comes now for United and for Ole. Ole has done a phenomenal job with limited resources in a kind of way of doing it in a United style and fashion, but doing it in a kind of methodical way without leaning on this whole Galactico thing without trying to be over the top about stuff and just being himself. And that's what I like about the guy. I don't care about his goal in the Champions League final in 99. I care about what he's doing at the moment. This Manchester United team is rightfully second. And I tell you what, if they'd sorted their home form out earlier in the season, we wouldn't be talking about City's procession to the title now. We'd be talking about a genuine title challenge going into the last two or three or four matches because United would have earned it. And they've earned it. You know, one good stat to use. Last year, Man United lost less games than Man City in the league. This year, Man City are going to win the league. But Man United have lost less games than Manchester City this season as well. Yeah, absolutely. Look, step forward to lose less games. I think the next the draws have been the real killer, haven't they, Rob? You know, the late the late goals conceded, and I think that's the next step that you know I need to to you know to take in this progression. One thing I do want to add is that I said at the beginning of the season, United need to finish single digits behind the champion, behind the champions. I think that represented well, I actually said 15. 15 was what I said because last season was about 30 to 33, I think it was, behind Liverpool. Uh, and look, if United finish within 10 points behind City. You know, that is that's that's good enough for me. They have to win the Europa League now. That is really, really important for the Gunnar Solskjaer. It's really, really important for, for the players as well. I know we've had this discussion before about our trophies, smaller trophies that are important. I still think they are. And then he's got to be backed in the summer, Rob. And that's that's the biggest problem. We're gonna go now into into the Glazers, and obviously we've seen them with these uh with these with these letters and these comments that have come out. Unfortunately, whoever's the manager at Manchester United, whether it's Jose Mourinho, whether it's David Moyes, whether it's Louis van Gaal, whether it's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, 
they haven't been given the players that they wanted. They haven't been given the sufficient backing. Yes, the money's been spent. You know, over a billion has been spent very, very badly. And that's on the Glazers as well for employing people like Ed Woodward to do your footballing footballing side of things when they have absolutely zero knowledge and uh, ability to do so. We're seeing now that United's United fan base are targeting the sponsors in a way. And I, I did say this to someone the other day, Rob, that I wasn't very comfortable with seeing fans going to trust pilot and absolutely trashing, um, you know, trashing some of these sponsors like team viewer and, and, no, and knocking down their rating very low. But actually, you know, while I won't partake in that personally, that's making a difference. You know, that I potentially going to lose out 200 million over the next 10 years on the kit deal. You've got to hit them where it hurts, Rob. And I feel for the first time, I know we, we did a show last week and we said there's got to be a, a more sort of unified approach to this. It needs to be a bit much more planned. It needs to be more organized. But for the first time in 16 years, the fan base have genuinely mobilized and it, they seem to be doing something to cause a little bit of a stir with the Glazers. They haven't spoken to us for 16 years. They don't care about us, Rob. And I still don't believe that they're, I feel like their letters and their apologies are just empty, hollow words. I think it's, it's nonsense. And they're doing this because they know that they're under pressure. But, you know, all these things considered, if United keep on turning the screw, the fan base keep on turning the screw, hitting them where it hurts, you could see a situation where they put the club up for sale. I don't think they're putting the club up for sale, first and foremost. And what I'll say is this, and I think you're kind of you are you're on the right tip. I think there's a kind of broader angle of it. So you will get fans kind of I don't want to use the word attack, but they will kind of go after sponsors. As you said there's trust pilot stuff and all of that, you know, the reviews. And they're they're easy things to do. Everyone can do them. If that's as you said, that's not something I would do or you would do. I'm not really interested in that. I don't think that's kind of what, what we're, we're thinking about. What's important here is the conversation about fan ownership and part fan ownership in terms of how it works with a primary owner. So Manchester United are owned by the Glazers. The Glazers own 75% of the shares, but take 98% of the decision-making. That's what, how they've structured the share base. For the first time ever and the Glazers said this, or Joel Glazer said this in his letter the other day, that Manchester United, per principle, believe in a fan ownership model. Now, for them to say that publicly is a big deal. Now, we shouldn't get too excited about it because we've heard similar things in the past from owners and, you know, you have to kind of question why these things don't happen. But the bigger question now is why is it happening right now? Why are they thinking about it today well it wasn't because of just what we saw against liverpool next last Saturday, last sunday with the protests that's part of it it's a visual it's really important that that goes around the world and that's the main headline news but the issue is this is that with the european super league collapsing in the way that it did and the egg on their faces and the way that government intervened and government said we do not like this the game needs to be reformed what government will be saying behind the scenes to the Glazers, to FSG, you know, to Sheikh Mansour and everyone else involved at the top end of English football, Bramovich and Levy and all those guys, they'll be looking at that and saying to them, you need to reform it. If you're good capitalists, go and reform it yourself before we have to do it because we don't want to do it as a government. The Tories believe in small government. Yeah, they don't believe in big legislation. They don't want to change and take English football and change it themselves. So that's where we are. 
we're not at a point of, are we going to sell the football club? So I think we have to be careful with that because I think fans get excited about those things. And we're seeing it at Arsenal, obviously, with, with uh, Ek and the football club and Spotify guy, and he's going to put together a consortium. Will it work? Won't it work? Personally, I don't think it will. There's no chance of selling that football club. No way. It's a, too big an asset. So it's a nice dream. It makes good copy, but it's not the truth. So the truth isn't that the Glazers are going anywhere, but at the first time ever, they're willing to talk to us. Um, I've done some bits with the Supporters Trust recently, and they're the guys obviously pushing this conversation, and it has to come from Must. I think that's really important. I think they are the guys that, that are, are the ones who speak clearest and loudest for the organisation and for us as fans. Um, so that's an ongoing conversation with the with the ownership. And now we've had this kind of public statement that they do believe in some form of fan ownership and they want to talk about it and facilitate it. And that will be good enough, Haydar. We don't need them to go. We just need them to give up power. That's what we need. So you're always going to have an owner who's going to take the money. That's how it is. You know, Martin Edwards was the owner of the football club with the Edwards family for years and years and years. And everyone hated the Edwards family. Now, the Edwards family did loads for Man United. They were local. They took the club at uh, low ebb and they kind of took uh, invested money into football club. Everyone hated the Edwards. No one loved them at all because they were the owners. They were the board. Sack the board, sack the board, sack the board. That's what we always to sing. And it still happens today. So those things don't change. What changes is the ownership model. And that's where we have to go now. We have to find a way that we as fans have a bigger voice, that we can protect ourselves against things like the European Super League, that we don't have billionaire owners who are just going to trash our history because they would. They would do it in a heartbeat. And they showed their hand, Haydar, at the kind of poker table rather than actually keeping their cards close to their chest and just kind of sweating it out a bit. What did they do? They showed everyone what their hand was, that they were going to destroy English football for basically earning an extra few bucks and it isn't going to happen. So that's where we are now. Don't think we're going to get a new owner. Don't think that's going to happen. And if it did happen, it would be what you and me didn't want and that it will probably come from a Middle East consortium who are worth, you know, trillions and they would come in and probably structure us like Manchester City and then fans like you and me who are not happy with their human rights records would no longer be doing this podcast. So that would be the end of our support of Manchester United. I think with the Glazers, they are awful owners, but they're not the worst owners in the world. They just need to be tapered. And that means that you have to have systematic change. You have to have a way where the fans can stop them. So you have to have some kind of board representation for the fans. The idea now is to build a stockholding of fans that own shares in the football club. And that gives us a voting block of power. And that's where we have to go next. Not ensuring new owners because new owners can be just as heinous as the last owners. I want more power for fans. And that's what we're going to work towards now over the next year. A couple of comments here, Rob. Um, what are the odds that they'll give up the shares that are not voting rights? Well, that's the thing, isn't it, Rob? So you saw mm. a, a lot of fans get excited, the fact that, I don't know which Glazer it was, looking to sell some of their shares. But the problem is that you have the Class A voting, voting yeah. rights on those shares. You know, that's like 10 10 um 10 voting rights per share and you've got the class b which pretty much is like what one or doesn't have any so that and i think that's the problem you know what i'm struggling to see is uh, personally and look this is just it's not based on anything other than what i've seen in the past 16 years it all feels like it all feels very convenient rob 
It feels like they're doing this to appease the fans. And I think they do genuinely think the fans are going to forget about this. You know, we, we've done this in the past where we've we protested and then and then it's sort of died down. I think this might be a different situation, but I do genuinely think that they're saying the right things. And, and then when things calm down a little bit, they'll they'll go out into hiding. Because look, they're not the sort of owners, you know, who want their face out there, do they? They they're almost silent operators, you know, they haven't said anything to the fans for, for 16 years. Um, you know, I, I really, I will be very surprised if we do see that, that sort of model come in, because I just can't see how they're going to be giving up some, some of the voting rights. That model will come in because they have to find a way of protecting their profits. You know, they have to find a way of keeping their football club in order and keeping fans happy and making sure that fans are buying the shirt and going to the games and not getting games called off and not getting upset by bad decisions about the European Super League. They have to find a way that allows the structure of English football to change while they maintain the power they need to make money. So it's, it is a different ball game now, Haydar. Like I know what you're saying there, and that's the cynical side of looking at it. You know, these these fan owners have done what they've these owners have done what they've done before. They're not interested in the fans. All of that is 100% correct. You're you're spot on with that. But the landscape has changed, and the landscape has changed because why? Because government are involved. Government do not want this to turn into a stink where they have to take the industry over and reform it. That would be the Conservatives' absolute worst nightmare. That's not what appeals to their voters. That's not what appeals to them. It's not what they do. What they will be saying, and this is why we're getting it for every football club. This is not just United. We've seen the big six all say it. All the big six have gone, we got it badly wrong, and we're going to reform. They've all said it. And it's very easy to say it, like you said, and then do nothing. But unfortunately, once they've started that conversation, which they have now, they've started it publicly, you can't then go back on it. You can't. And if you do go back on it, it's going to get worse. You know, if you think losing one Premier League game, you know, the biggest game in the world that day is a bad thing, it would get 100 times worse because the fans now, it's all been lit. You know, the spark is there, the fuse is there. It's off. You know, it's, the sparklers are going. And I think that's where maybe yourself as a fan has to look at it that way because this is the whole thing. Selling the club is not really the answer, even though that's the bit that appeals to football fans wider. What's important is the power. And as you said there, the gen base, when you look at kind of the values of each share, we're not idiots. If we sit with the Glazers and say, right, let's restructure the club with you and you want to give us some power, we're not going to take your minuscule voting right uh, ones. We want proper parity with the voting. So these things, you know, the people who are on our side, I'm talking about fans, they're pretty smart people. They're not stupid. They get it. They know that the gla they're not going to get palmed off by the Glazers. I'm more worried that if we buy Jaden Sancho, that then quells the, the fears. Yeah, yeah that's that, that, that our viewers go, oh, we got Jaden. Yay. We're going to win the title. Yay. That's a problem. That's much more of an issue than what we're talking about now. In the past, Rob, you know. Where it happens every season, Haydar. It's happened before. It's really wrong. You know, we could get, for me, we could get Sancho, Haaland, Pau Torres, Varane, whatever, Declan Rice, and I'm still glazes out. And you have to be because, and this is a problem. I think the, the fan base haven't, they haven't been, it hasn't been sustained, you know, the pressure against the Glazers. It's been, it's been, it's been a bit half-assed. We all, we're all uh, guilty of that. I've done that as well, Rob. You know, I haven't bought the kit now for, 
for two, three seasons out, and I won't buy the new kit. And that's where everyone can start. You know, I understand it's, I don't feel comfortable saying to someone, and, and I'm not going to go and preach, don't buy the kit, but I think that's a place that people can start. Some people want to go and buy their kids with their hard earned money. They want to go and buy the kits. But I just feel like after you do that, you can't complain about the Glazers because you're putting money in their pocket. Partly, and I said I wrote that in our article on our website as well. It's a similar thing about being complicit, but being complicit and being to blame are two kind of different things. So for me, it's about being progressive from this point. How do you make change happen? Well, you can't wish it to happen because wishing does nothing. You know, that's not a thing. You know, you have to find real kind of direction. And I think we do have that direction. And I think because of the mistakes that they've made in the past 12 months and because of COVID and because of maybe Manchester United's sporting position and maybe over a few years, that they'll be looking at it and going, right, now we have to change stuff because if we don't change it, our asset, which is this big, suddenly is this big. And we don't want that. So what do we have to give up at the poker table? You know, it's like a blind man's bluff, isn't it? It's kind of looking at it and going, what do I have to put on the table to make this game happen, to make things continue sparking? How am I going to keep my new shirt sponsor happy when all these United fans have gone on there and basically trashed them publicly? So what, what can you do? Well, you bring the your fans to the table you find a new ownership model that still makes sure that you're earning loads of dividends because the the Glazers take out you know hundreds of millions of pounds of dividends over the sixteen year period. That's why they do it. They want their dividends because that's what they, that's how Sorry. they go and buy stuff. You know that they take that money away from Manchester United. To, to add to that though, what I do I'm not I'm not advocating the Glazers, but in any big corporation. The owners are going to take out dividends and that's okay like for the for the guys to take 10 11 12 million out a year that's fine if they're running the club properly isn't it it's not yeah. for me like, the dividends is only a problem because and it's only under the microscope with fans oh they're taking dividends any rich owner takes dividends mostly i know brown rich doesn't obviously and that's a that's that's a different model completely the dividends wouldn't be a problem if they were doing their jobs properly and they're running the club like a football club. I think that's the problem. That's where I have an issue with the dividends. If they're doing everything correctly, if they're taking 11, 12 million out, that's fine because that's your asset. But the fact that they're not running the club properly and they've allowed the, the stadium to fall apart, Carrington's aging as well, that's when the dividends becomes a problem. Yeah. And this is the whole point about what, what does investment mean? What is an asset? What, why do I have it? Why do I own it? What do I do with it? So like you just said there, Old Trafford is a wreck. It's an old stadium. Now it's crumbling. Carrington is now out of date. So you have to find that. So the Glazers, again, in that letter have promised to update those two things. That was quite interesting. They didn't have to say that. Didn't have to put it on the table. They put it on the table. So there's obviously some talk there about upgrading those things. Uh, the dividend, the Glazers, I think, on average over the last five years have taken something about £40 million a year out of the football club over five years. So that's £200 million. We're talking about transfers here, like Jaden Sancho. Do you buy Sancho and do you buy yourself a Grealish? Well, tell you what, if we won't have these dividends taken out of our football club, we'd be able to buy them. So in terms of capitalism, I've got no issues with owners earning money from their things that they own. But the point is of the last two weeks is that a football club is not a thing. Yeah, a football club should not be something you own. A football club is about custodians. It's about a team. It's about being together. And a team like Manchester United does not need an owner to pump money into it. A team like Manchester United makes more than enough money on its own as a brand and as a team. Yeah. 
that then we don't need them. So if it comes down to it, reform the whole of football, get rid of the capitalist angle of it, and let's just have teams that run themselves and everyone would be happy. But of course, that's not a reality as well. You're not going to get rid of these billionaire owners out of your game overnight. All you can do is change how that model works. And that's the whole thing. Like when we talked about 50 plus one, uh, 50, uh, the 51 plus model in Germany, that is the German model, and the Germans have done it for a case of fairness, but it's not a perfect system. You know, if you if you own a club for 20 years, you can then start to take the club over furthermore. And we've seen that with owners in the Bundesliga. So it's not it's not a perfect system. The other issue but is, Rob, as well, is that uh, Bayern Munich have got a, a financial strength and might over every single club, and it's now a, a monopoly, you know. Yes and yes and no again because the whole point is that Bayern Munich because of their establishment and because of the way that they they hoover up the sponsors that that's why that works but but for me that's not a, that a huge issue like we're talking about fairness of how you run a football club we're not talking about how do you become more successful Bayern Munich are the most successful because they're the biggest club in Germany by miles yeah they are huge super team they're probably the best supported team in the whole of the world but more than united more than barcelona more than real madrid the germanic support is huge so they are a huge football club that's kind of why they hoover up like you you highlighted last week that there's a player they can get the player for half price because they're so powerful great that moves that on but that's not because of the 50 plus one you know what i mean that's not that's not because of that that's not why they're powerful they're powerful just because they've got the biggest back it doesn't, really. it, the 50 plus one model doesn't allow you to have these rich investors that come in and do what look what look what Manchester it doesn't al- it doesn't allow your football club to not be a football club it allows your football club to be a football team first and a business second and that's the conversation we must have because you won't get rid of billionaires or capitalism that's still going to be with us so how do you find a way to protect the health of these football teams and that's where we are with united united's health is in a chronic position now because we're losing money to debt the glazers have cost the club 1.1 billion in in basically in banking fees you know that's horrendous isn't it 1.1 billion where's that money gone it's just disappeared it's just literally smoke into the air so we want interest so it's all interest 700 800 million pounds of just pure interest just so they could own the football club so in capitalist terms great but not in football terms we have to change this we have to find a way that is a, a kind of a compassionate change that allows it to still operate in an english system but at the same time we can't have take any prisoners here we can't be fools anymore we can't just say oh you own the club so we're kind of all right with you taking dividends no we're not all right with you taking dividends when you're absolutely killing the football club that we're not happy with that you take no dividends until we are happy with the model abramovich takes no dividends like you just said there we know he's a playboy it's a completely different model but that is how that is chelsea are protected because of that manchester united are not protected from their owners what if fsg suddenly start going do you know what we're going to asset strip liverpool we're going to take 10 times the dividends we've been taking because we can well, Liverpool fans would be out of their seats straight away. So the whole idea here is you unify English football around this common goal about fan ownership. And when we say ownership, we're not talking about fans running everything in the game. We're talking about fans protecting their own football clubs at board level and allowing those profits to kind of accumulate in the correct way and that there's enough for transfers, enough for wages, that you can run a team and that you can, you know, then all your sponsorship money that comes in, you can actually equate for it, Haydar. It's not just kind of flittering away to JP Morgan or a bank somewhere because that's how it is and you're registered in the Cayman Islands. What's all that about? You know, Manchester United should be registered in the UK and paying UK tax. All of those things I think are really, really important, but we need to get into the detail with the Glazers.
Rob, I think this is a really damning sort of comment here from Best and Canton. I was saying, you know, the unpalatable truth is fans would want Saudis over Glazers in every poll I've done. Um, yeah, I've yeah, seen, I've seen, I've seen the polls that that he's done, and um, it's like ninety five percent wanting the Saudis, and that's that's where it's you know that that's where it's too far for me. It's like it's almost like football, tunnel vision football, right? Football, 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 and just completely ignoring the human rights abuse that these people do and and the horrible things they do. If anyone wants to watch, I know it's not football related. Anyone wants to see what the Saudi government actually do and and the the horrible atrocities they do, go and watch the dissident on um on amazon prime and, and you'll see and you know you'll see exactly what they do but rob let's wrap up with the final word now may United have secured top four for the first time you know consecutively uh since sir alex ferguson left which is fantastic and they're in the final of the europa league against uh, a, a well-drilled Villarreal side. You know, Unai Emery's done a really good job there. And now they're approaching a very, very difficult run of games. We've got Leicester, who seems to be in free fall again. Um, you know, seemingly they're allergic to Champions League football. And we've got the Liverpool game rearranged. It is a little bit of a, a surprise that they've rearranged it at that point. I feel like it's almost like a punishment towards the club for what happened um, in terms of putting that fixture there. But ultimately, United have got the job done. They've got Champions League football and uh, look, they just got to keep on rolling, keep on keep on trying to win games and, uh, and you know, get that trophy at the end of the season. Yeah, I'd rotate heavily from here now. The league's done. You know, they, they're done to what they needed to do during the Champions League. Coming second, third or fourth. Again, I know fans want the kudos of where you are in the league and I've talked about the league a lot this season. But the most important thing, first of all, is get in the Champions League for next year. So what's the next thing? The next thing is to win the Europa League. Now, you said it's a must win. It's difficult. I always kind of step away from that because for Villarreal, it's a must win. So it's kind of a must win for everyone. A cup final always is, isn't it? We've got this FA Cup final coming up now in the next few uh, next week. It's a must win really for Leicester because Leicester want, wants some silverware. I don't like to subscribe to it as that. But of course, we would want to win it and we want to do our best to win it. So I think where we are now is that Ole needs to kind of look at the squad. I think we'll see some quite surprising changes for the Liverpool game. I don't think he's going to risk players. Look today, Marcus, again, got a really bad knock and kind of came through the game, Why provided the well? assist. But you have to now think, as a manager, you have to think in terms of where fans don't think. Yeah, You have to kind of look at it and say, how do I preserve these players? So on that day when I'm going into my game against Villarreal and I'm trying to win a European final, how do I get my players the fittest they are, the healthiest they can be? How do I keep Paul Pogba fit? How do I keep Bruno Fernandes fit? Do you know what? I'd be tempted not to play Bruno in the league again at all. Kept completely take him out. Yeah, and that might lose you a game or two here or there and it might make you slip in your league position. But the truth is you've done that job. Keep Bruno, keep players fresh now for this European final because that's how you're going to win it. You're not going to win it by spinning the roulette wheel and thinking, well, you know, we'll try a little bit here, try a little bit there. Villarreal are not that good. They're not a top team. You know, you have to respect Villarreal like they are Real Madrid, like they are Barcelona, like they are one of the top Spanish sides. One of the They're top a good side. On the They're, They're a good side. side. They're a good side. And we have seen that Manchester United can lose games to good sides. Yeah. yeah, I thought we'd lose at Roma. I really did. You know, in that second leg, I really did think that would be the case just simply because of mindset and where you are in the result. So you lose that game, but it doesn't matter because you move on. Those things are fine. I'm really okay with them. And it's a bit like that now with the league. 
I want to beat Liverpool on Thursday. But if we don't beat Liverpool on Thursday because we rotated everyone and everyone's fresh for a Europa League final, happy days, Liverpool. Have your three points. Good luck in your chase for fourth. We're not interested in those things. That's fine. Let's get ready now for this cup final. I'd love to win it. I think it would be a great way to cap the season off. Uh, I think we're up against a great opponent in terms of Villarreal is a good match for Man United. Fingers crossed that Harry is fit. We need him in that kind of running now. Um, and it's just making sure that players are going into those final matches and not doing anything stupid. Because I, I can see it. You know, it always happens, doesn't it? Like, you know, before a World Cup or a European Championship, the day before that game, someone, you know, wrenches their knee and they're out of the Euros or they break a metatarsal like Rooney did. He didn't need to go for that ball or Beckham did it as well. It always happens. And that's the bit that I worry about. And I'm thinking to myself, wrap them all up in cotton wool, minimal minutes, minimal effort. And if you lose games because of that, you just take it on the chin and you go into that game trying to win some silverware. And we're in a really, really good position now to take home a cup. Absolutely. As one of the comments said, you know, it's a real springboard for Man United going into next season. Guys, thank you very much for all your fantastic comments. Always much appreciated. Myself and Rob really do appreciate all the interaction. You know, it's, it's what makes this so fantastic to do. Make sure you do check out our website, www.thefootballmasterclass.com. You'll see a couple of articles there from Rob, and we will be obviously writing a lot more during the summer when the transfer window starts. So make sure you check that out. Thank you very much for joining us today, and we will see you next time. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. 